0: Amen. Praise God. Uh, God bless you, and uh, praise God for this Easter season. Uh, We're so grateful that Jesus has risen. He is alive indeed, and we are so thankful to be His children and for the resurrection power that we have because of Christ's death and now His resurrection, which we celebrate today. We've already had... Our uh, Old Testament scriptures, Zechariah chapter 9, <clears throat> uh, verses 9 through 10, and Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And I'll, uh, So we're not going to take the time to reread those, but I want to speak this morning from the thought, Is Hosanna your response to the Savior? And we want to link these two verses together. And in Zechariah, we're hearing a prophecy that he's making during Israel's freedom from captivity. Uh, If you'll remember, Israel got into their promised land, but Israel did not do the things that God said to do. they made covenants with people in the land instead of destroying them completely. They uh, worshiped other gods and intermarried with the people in the land. Uh, Not only that, but God commanded them to do things such as giving the land a Sabbath. And they chose not to do that. And so as a result of this, God said, Because of your sin, you're going to go into a time of captivity. And so during the days of Daniel, uh, we see that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and and Babylon with the armies, and they captured uh, Israel and took many of them into captivity. And and, and so now here we are uh, in 539 BC, and and Babylon fell. Uh, at the hands of uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia, and 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 so Cyrus has now allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And Zachariah is writing to his people, and really his hope is that not only that there's a religious uh, revival, a religious renewal that takes place, but also a spiritual one, one in which. The people of God turn their hearts to God. And so Zechariah in this begins to tell them that, yes, God is in fact turning his heart towards you and that the king that they are awaiting is coming. And, and so we get that, we get that piece. And then in Mark, we actually see the fulfillment of that, uh, that, you know, the prophecy of Zechariah of Jesus riding in on the donkey. And then we see the fulfillment of that. In Mark chapter 11. And so we want to work through these two passages today where we see both the foretelling of Jesus's journey into Jerusalem, then we see the event itself, and then we see the response of the people. So letter A, who is Jesus? Well, we see in Zechariah chapter 9 that first of all that he is your king. And, And Zechariah is very clear. This isn't another king someone else's king that's coming and uh, is going to come to them. But this is, in fact, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jehovah, God, who they know is your king, he is saying to Israel. And I tell you today that that that, that Jesus is our king. The King of kings and Lord of lords wants to be your lord and king today. Secondly, he is coming to you. He's coming to to you and that signifies that he's coming for you basically he's coming for you and for your benefit for our benefit you know while, uh, and we see that Israel was in captivity dealing with things but your king was coming we as the people of god uh, we're in the same situation we live in a world that's that's condemned a world that's going to be destroyed a world that's full of sin and death but Jesus because Uh, of his great love for us, comes and gives his life. He came to us and for us and for our benefit. I I tell you, you know, when I think of what Jesus went through, uh, you know, know, I don't know, but by the grace of God, well, it can't be done, but by the grace of God. But it's like he didn't do that for himself. He did that because he loved us. He did that because he was being obedient to the Father. And, and and so this means this signifies the idea that God wants to be near us. God wants to be near you and I, not distant. There there are people who believe that that God is is this celestial being and he sits up high and but he's not at all concerned with what we face today. You know, there are some people that believe that that God, you know, they would actually acknowledge there is a God. But they'd say, yeah, he created everything and he got everything set up. And then just like a person that spins a top and lets it roll until it spins out of control and falls over. They feel like God did the same thing to us. God created the world, everything in it. He hit start and then he walked away. Or, or like our time here is just a great soap opera to God. These are the days of our lives. It's just, God is just sitting back, just watching and it's entertainment for Him. No, 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 no. That's not God at all. God wants to be near us. God wants to be close to us, not distant. And so He sent Jesus and that signifies that He wants to be near us. Thirdly, and Zachariah says it here, He is just just as that Hebrew word that means lawful or righteous. So this isn't a king that just wants to throw his weight around, a king that is all about himself, a king that doesn't live by a moral standard, but the, the the king of kings and the Lord of lords is a just God. Jesus' form of morality and ethics conforms to a divine standard. So this is a king who you know whose standard is above our own. And and we want that. We really do. I mean, we really do want a God who lives by a moral and ethical standard that supersedes our own, that has a sense of right and wrong that, you know, isn't sometimey, isn't caught up in emotions, uh, isn't, you know, one way today and one way tomorrow. But Jesus' form of morality conforms to a divine standard. And it's important that we have a just king. I mean, who wants to, to live for a God who's not just? Uh, and you know, it's interesting. People today, they want to talk about the love of God. And and they want to talk about how how loving God is. For God so loved for what? Even the world knows that, that verse. But those same people are say that they don't want a righteous or a just God. And and I submit to you that I believe there are two reasons for that. One, I think people don't want a righteous or a just God, either because it requires them to become righteous themselves. It requires them to, to, be, to elevate their conduct, elevate their thoughts, elevate their actions uh, to the righteous requirements of God. And, and, and we can't do that apart from God. So that, that in and of itself seems impossible. But the other side is I think that some don't want a righteous God because if they submit and do things his way, they have to be righteous. But then they have to suffer the consequences of all of the people who have chosen not to be righteous, not to live righteous lives. And often they feel like I'm the victim. I'm the victim. I've chosen to live right and do what's right, but there are all these other people that don't do right, don't live right, and they seem to get away with it, and I'm just the victim because I have to do right even though they don't have to do right. My recourse is limited. Well, we don't have to fear. We know we know that 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 Jesus, this same Jesus who, you know, everyone says, oh, Jesus is love. God is love. This same Lord and Christ is coming back to judge. And, and so, you know, he, he's coming back to judge. And so he's going to deal with those folks that have not submitted, those folks who have not surrendered to his lordship, those who have sinned against him and against his bride. So he's your king. He's coming to you. He wants to be near you. He is a just king. But not only that, number four, he has and he brings with him salvation. Salvation. Salvation, that Hebrew word yasha, which means to help or to deliver or to save. And and I was looking in in Vine's uh, Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words, and that word Yasha. It says that in the realm of justice and civil law, Yasha represents an obligation on the part of anyone who hears an outcry of one being mistreated. You know, if you could imagine someone, uh, you see it in superhero movies all the time. Someone getting mugged, and 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 no one seems to help, and then the superhero zooms in. And and response to the crisis, uh, you know, there's a responsibility when someone needs help uh, that we respond, that we reach out. And so, the people of God, Israel, was crying out to God, God, we need your help. And God, we're sorry. And 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 what He's saying is that He's bringing with Himself when He comes, He's bringing help, He's bringing deliverance, He's bringing salvation. He is a God who has heard your cry and is responding. Now, I told you before that a lot of people want to hear about the love of God, but not the righteousness of God. They don't want to hear about a God who is just, a God who requires that they live just lives, that they live righteous lives. And you have this on your page, but write this down. Freedom without righteousness will always lead to sin and bondage see if i'm free to do what i want to do but i don't live by a, a morally righteous standard then when it suits me i can do things that benefit me but hurt you and that's the thing sin leads to bondage see the world sins but they don't believe that they're in bondage they uh, you know just as we were before We received salvation. We were people that felt like I'm living the way I want to live. I'm fully in control. I can stop doing these destructive things to myself when I want to. I can stop drinking when I want to. I can stop, uh, you know, I can stop being angry when I want to. I can stop living promiscuously when I want to. You know, when I decide I want to, I can do it. No, you can't. (laughs) We are bound by sin. The Bible is very clear about this. And so uh, Christ comes to set us free, but it's not free so that now we can do what we want to do on our own, but it's so that we can live righteous lives. It's so that we can choose to surrender ourselves, submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can walk as people who are free. We can walk in the freedom that has been provided to us through Christ. And then number five, not only is is he our king, not only uh, is he want to be near us and not distant from us, not only is he a just God who lives by a divine standard and he's bringing salvation, but he is lowly. He is humble. And when you look at this, it says here, you know, that he comes riding in on a donkey. He's riding on a donkey, an animal that symbolizes peace. He doesn't come riding in on a camel or or on a war horse, but on a donkey. Uh, Listen to these remarks from uh, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. It, it, It makes light of this point. It says, Jesus orchestrates his triumphant entry around a mule, still regarded as a mark of kingship in Palestine. A warhorse would not have symbolized the arrival of the prince of peace. Unlike the donkey and the mule, the horse was impractical for peaceful uses. For thirty-five hundred years, people constantly adapted the horse and improved their use of it to serve as the ultimate military weapon, and it was the ultimate military weapon until the tank. Historically, people who mastered the horse—the the Trojans, the uh, the Midden. The Midianians, the, the Hurrians, and the Mongols, uh, they rose to dominance uh, and to dominate their neighbors because they were mastered horses. They mastered the use of horses. Uh, the prohibition against amassing horses is directed against self-sufficiency and, and political power. And you have the scripture references for that. So he doesn't come in on a horse, but he comes in on a donkey. So we get some characteristics of Jesus and 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 of who Jesus is. Now, secondly, uh, we we get those in verse nine. But now, secondly, in uh, verse ten of Zechariah chapter nine, we get what Jesus will do. What Jesus will do. So we hear about who he is. Now we're finding out what he'll do. And 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 he outlines it here. Number one, he will take care of our enemies. He will take care of our enemies. <laughs> And isn't that a blessing? I mean, that is a blessing to Israel to know, man, they've been through, you know, all of these trials in Egypt. God's delivered them. Now they've been in captivity in Babylon. Now God's delivered them. But but, but the nation is still not whole. And they're saying, when your king comes, he is going to take care of all. All of your enemies. Jesus will take care of uh, the whole arsenal. He'll take care of the chariots and the war horses and the battle bone. We see that in verse 10. And then number two, he will speak peace to the nations. He will speak peace to the nations. He's not just bringing peace. He's not just bringing salvation. Uh, and that word peace, when you think of peace, and, and my idea goes right back to a definition that I, I read a long time ago in Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Uh, but I believe one of the definitions it said was that peace is the ceasing of war between two nations. And so we see that that Jesus is going to bring peace. And this is confirmation of God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, and listen listen to this, uh, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse Uh, 10 out of the Amplified. He says that I will cut off and exterminate the war chariot from from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak the word and peace shall come to the nations and his dominion shall be from the Mediterranean Sea to any other sea and from the river Euphrates to the ends of the earth. And that's a reference to Psalm 72, 8. So he's going to speak the word and peace will come to the nations. Now, this is amazing. Now, if you look in, in the, and you have the reference here in Zechariah, he goes on to say, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, uh, out of the New King James, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and keep and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. <clears throat> So look at this. It says that he who comes to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations. So we understand that the, 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 all the feasts and the festivals, Israel celebrated those things. But Zechariah saying here in, in, in chapter 14 and verse 16 that all the nations that are remaining are going to come and worship the king of kings and lord of lords and keep the feast. Of the tabernacles. How, how is that? How are you going to get nations, uh, all of these nations that have different practices and have worshiped different gods, how are all of them going to come together and worship God in the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, uh, really, it's, you go back and you have to look at the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, uh, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the nations are going to be blessed because of you and through you, through your seed. And we know that God is a God that that brings all people, all nationalities, all nations, all cultures together. That's what the kingdom looks like. That's really one of of the things that we value here is diversity. And God wants to bring all. He will bring all nations together. We see this in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 where it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation.'" So God, when the when the King comes, He's not just coming to liberate Israel. He's not just coming to, to to bring peace between Israel and and all the other nations, but but He's coming to bring peace among all nations. Jesus is the one person. the the the, the, the Christian life, the, the 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 fact that we live as Christians that's the one thing that's the one religion that brings. All people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues together. None other will but Jesus. And then number three. When we talk about what Jesus will do, number three, he will rule over all. He will rule over all. And what's that mean? That tells us that there is no area where he will not have influence. Have you ever felt like, Jesus was Lord over some things in your life, but there's some things that he's not really Lord. And most of the time we attribute that to he's Lord over these things because these things seem to be going well. These things seem to be going in my favor. These are the things that I feel like I have victory over in my Christian life, in my life as a disciple. But these things seem to be outside of Jesus's control. Well, they said when Jesus comes, when the king comes, there's not going to be any area where his power, his presence, his influence is not felt, is not experienced. You know, we t- we talk about the, uh, you know, John Maxwell, leadership expert guru. Uh, he says leadership is influence, and and so Jesus is is the king, and and, and he's going to be leading. He's going to have influence in every area of life in every place. And so we began by looking at this and we see that Jesus, we see the character, we see who he is, but then we see what he's going to do. And now fast forward to Mark chapter 11, and now we're seeing the fulfillment of this prophecy, the fulfillment of the prophecy. And so as we look at Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 8, what do we see here? We see that what God has said has come to pass, and that's a beautiful thing, and that's a wonderful thing, and that's a comforting thing, that what God has said will come to pass. I, I appreciate a message, and I said, uh, you know, God has a way of taking His time. I, I've said before that God works in the fullness of time, and so God sets things in order, but He's and, and it takes some time. It takes some time, but What God's said shall be accomplished. And so we can take comfort in that, that what God has said will happen no matter what. It doesn't matter if somebody's done something to you to try to come against what God has said for you. It doesn't matter if somebody's tried to, if you've shared what God has said, and someone seems to be doing everything in their power to keep that from happening. I'm telling you today that if God says it's going to happen, it shall come to pass. No matter how long it takes, it's going to come to pass. And when you see this, you see nearly similar words of prophecy. The prophecy that we see in Zechariah, we we see these same words outlined. We also see them in Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 through 4 and 11 through 12. This same language of Jesus coming in on a cult of people putting down, uh, you know, coats and putting down those palm branches. We also see the same thing in, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 10 says that this earth and all that will be in it. When you think about this, and this is uh, just another point here, it says that this world's going to be destroyed. And I bring that up because if God said that Jesus was going to come and that he was going to be crucified, and it was prophesied so many years ago, but yet we see it came to pass, then the other things that God has said in the scriptures through the prophets will indeed come to pass. And so, depending on whether or not you know him and are living for him, that's either a joyous thing or a scary thing but it doesn't have to be we don't have to be fearful today because we're celebrating now in this Easter season the fact that Jesus has provided a way for us to be with God and to escape the condemnation and the destruction that lies ahead so we see the fulfillment of the prophecy and for the sake of time I want to quickly move on <clears throat> letter D then we see the people's response. And we see this in verses 9 and 10 of Mark 11. Look at this. This is so important. It says, then those, this is verse 9 of Mark chapter 11. It says, then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Look at this. They say Hosanna. And it's that same word as salvation that's used in Zechariah nine nine. See, we've come to think of Hosanna and we read this passage and we say, Oh Hosanna, that's a word of praise and 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 of adoration. And, and it is. It really is. But but if you go back and you look at that word Hosanna it, the Hosanna, it's a Greek word. If I'm looking at this as strong uh, Hebrew and Greek dictionaries. It's, it's a Greek word that means, oh, save. In Hebrew, it means, save, we pray. So, as you can see, it's a word of ador- it's, it's It's adoration. But it's also a cry for help. We see that also in Psalm 118, particularly in verses 18 through 26. And Israel's response is a call for salvation and deliverance. They're not just saying, hey, the king is here, great, this is wonderful, great to see you. But what they're saying is, Thank you so much. Praise God that you're here. It's so wonderful. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes of our father's David. What they're saying is, thank goodness you're here. Save us. We've been such a mess. We've been through such turmoil. We've heard about you for, 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 for so long. And now... You're finally here. They're putting down their palm branches and their, their coats. And I just imagine that being just like the red carpet, you know, in, in Hollywood today. But it, it keeps down the dust. But uh, but they're putting this down and they're saying, oh, it's so wonderful you're here. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's wonderful that you're here. Oh, save us. Oh, save us. We've been a broken people. We've been a lost people. We've been a persecuted people without a king. But now you're here. Save us. Israel's response was a call for salvation and for deliverance. I want to camp out here for a moment, but just in closing, I want to ask you today, what is your response to the Savior? What is your response to the Savior? Now don't don't look around. Don't look around at anybody. Um, but I want I want you to just take a moment and think about this. How many times have you needed to be rescued from something or from someone? How many times? How many times have you gone through something, gone through a situation, had to deal with someone, and you said, Oh my gosh, I, oh man, I need I need salvation from this. I need to be delivered from this situation, I need to be delivered from this person. How many times have you had to be rescued from yourself or from issues of your own doing? I'll put my hand up (laughs) because there are some times when I've made some decisions. I've said some things. I've done some things where I've been my own worst enemy. And I've said, oh, Lord, I've messed up so badly. I need you to save me from this. Another question, or a statement rather. Oftentimes we feel like we need to be saved from one thing, but we actually need to be saved from something far worse. Now let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Because the world thinks, and people have often thought, I need to be saved from alcohol, I need to be saved from drugs, I need to be saved from you know, inappropriate relationships. I need to be saved from... And we pick and choose these things that we think we need to be delivered from, saved from. And what I'm telling you today is that you and I and those who are in Christ have been saved from something much larger and those who have not yet received Christ. You need to be saved from something that's bigger than some addiction that you have. Let me give you an example to help just... uh, Put some skin to this. Imagine a person feels like they need to be saved from a headache and a blurriness of vision, and so they said, "Man, I'm having these headaches. I've got this blurry vision, and and I need help with this." And so they go to the store and they get some over the counter, ty- you know, medicine, Tylenol, Aleve. Advil, you know, et cetera, whatever your headache medicine is, ibuprofen, and you get it and, and you take it and, and it kind of helps, but it, you know, eh, not so much. And you say, well, my eyes are hurting too. And maybe I need to get some reading glasses. And so, you know, you go to Target, you go to, uh, you know, whatever place, CVS, Walgreens, wherever you get those reading glasses off the rack and, and you put those on and, you know, things are kind of a little better. But the headaches don't go away. The blurriness is still there off and on. And so let's say after that, you went to see a doctor and the doctor does a basic examination and, and ask you the basic questions. They take your temperature, your blood pressure and just normal conversations. And you begin to talk about stress at work and stress at home and different things you're going through. And the doctor says, well, yeah, I mean, those things can can cause these symptoms. And so. So the doctor suggests some de-stressing activities, and then the doctor notices, hmm, your blood pressure is a little bit elevated, so, you know, let me suggest some de-stressing activities, and I'm going to give you a prescription for your blood pressure medication, for blood pressure medication. So the person leaves, and they go, and they uh, they take the medication, and they try to do the de-stressing techniques, and they're wearing the glasses, and uh, they're taking the headache medicine, and things still don't get any better. And actually, over time, the headaches are starting to come more frequently and they're becoming more severe and the the, the, the vision's becoming more blurred. And so the person begins to think, wow, man, maybe that, maybe I need to go get some some prescription glasses, because it has been several years since I've gotten my glasses. And so they go to the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, your eyes have changed significantly. And they give you a prescription for glasses. And, 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 then, and so the person begins wearing glasses and, the blood pressure medicine and the new glasses and the headache medicine and the de-stressing techniques aren't helping and things are continuing to to get worse. And so the, then the person starts to develop a, uh, kind of a hearing issue and their balance is kind of off. And so they go back to their doctor and they, they say, well, you know, I'm kind of, uh, you know, a little woozy at different times and not steady. And so the doctor says, well, let me look in your ears and it says, well, yeah, you do. Your eardrum does kind of look inflamed, and you know, this could be an ear infection. I'm gonna give you an antibiotic. And I want you to take that for, for an ear infection, and 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 hopefully that will clear up and your equilibrium will you know will settle down and 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 hopefully things will straighten out. All of this, but then there's still no relief. And and so they start to get more and more confused. Uh, you know about their situation, but then all of a sudden, the things that they used to do every day, they start to get confused. They start to get forgetful, and they're they're trying to figure out what is going on. And then all of a sudden, they start to feel nausea, and and then there's some vomiting, and then eventually, uh, they, they start having some difficulty speaking, and and then all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, bam, they have a seizure. And so they rush to the emergency room, and the doctor does an MRI and discovers a brain tumor. All along, the patient and their doctors were addressing and treating symptoms of a larger and more deadly problem. See, the children of Israel thought that they needed a king would save them and would deliver them from persecution of physical and military issues. But they didn't realize that Jesus came to save them from the power of sin and the darkness that was within them. And far too often, people don't want Jesus, but they want to deal with symptoms of sin and symptoms of a world that is cursed and condemned and that is going to be destroyed I confess to you that there have been times that uh, in, in my in, in my days gone by that I I've, I've I've not wanted to surrender my life to Jesus but I've just said God I need you to take care of this or take care of that but feeling better doesn't solve my issue and feeling better Or overcoming that addiction or that issue that you're having or that thing that's happening in your family life that's got you stressed out. Overcoming that is not going to solve your problem. You know, when you take headache medicine, but you don't deal with the issues of the headache, the headaches come back. And they come back oftentimes more intense, but not only that, uh, the longer that a person puts off treatment... You know, you think of something like a tumor. You think of something like cancer. If they find it in the early stages, they give treatment and and it gets taken care of. And, and you know, hopefully it's a lot less invasive, a lot less severe if you catch it early. But oftentimes people find out about conditions when they're in advanced stages. And the longer a person puts off treatment, the further advanced the condition gets. And that only makes it harder to resolve the issue. It's important that we understand. It's important that people today know that sin has separated us from God. And that this world and everything in it is marked for destruction. But that Jesus can save us and restore us. But it only happens when we submit to him and let him do and be who. He is. The Bible tells us, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I told you before I told you before in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Everything in this world and the world itself, the earth itself, is going to be destroyed. It's the truth, which leads us to the final point here. Whether we believe it or act upon it or not, this is the truth. This is the truth. Jesus says in John eight thirty through 32, it says, And he spoke these words, and many believed in him. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus, he is the only one that can give you the ability to overcome the sin within you and the grace to withstand a world that is dominated by sin around you. But this requires that you and I receive him as Lord and Savior. It is a package deal. See, people want, I told you before, they want the love of God, they want the blessings of God, but they don't want the righteousness of God. They don't want the lordship of God. But it's a package, it's, it's a package deal. You don't get one without the other. You don't get Jesus the Savior and not Jesus the Lord. So I ask you today, what is your response to the Savior? What is your response to the king who is loving and just and kind and lowly and wants to be near you and is coming to you? What is your response to him? Jesus says, this is Matthew, and I'll close with this. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, it says, And Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul and then he asks this question or what will a man give in exchange for his soul what are you giving in exchange for your soul today I pray that you hear the word of God to you today. That if you hear his voice and if you sense that you need to make a decision today, I invite you to come. God loves you. He's provided a way for you to be with him. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Let us pray. O oh, gracious Father, We thank you today and we rejoice today for what you have accomplished through your son. We're so grateful that you love us so much that you sent him. Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. We thank you that you gave your life, that we might have life more abundantly. Holy Spirit, now I pray that you would move in this place, that you would touch every person under the sound of my voice, that your spirit would draw those who do not know you to come. Do a work in us that we can't do for ourselves. Lord, help us not to to deal with symptoms and get stuck on symptoms, but to help us understand that our problem is so much bigger than that. And that we need you. We need your presence. We need your spirit at work in our lives. Work, Holy Spirit. Do it today, I pray. Save those that don't know you. Those that have backslid, I pray that you would draw them back to you. And those of us that do know you, I pray that that our safety, that our security in you would be affirmed this day. And that we would praise you because of your great love for us. Have your way, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.